0: We do have a couple of my into colleagues here to join me on stage. Uh, We have awards editor Marcus Jones and executive editor of film Kate Herbland.
1: All right. We're not as professional, so we were like (laughs) debating who goes first on stage.
2: We're deeply professional.
0: Yeah, so speaking you're a deeply professional and this is not either of your first time here obviously. I think
2: Kate you've been at Sundance.
1: This Bye. is
2: this is my fourteenth year at Sundance. Fourteen? <laughs> counting the two virtual years. Yeah. And
1: Marcus. Um, I did like every virtual year, but this is my first time in
0: person since twenty seventeen. And so, compared to last year, we were both here. Uh, Obviously, throughout the festival, there was a virtual parallel offering available to people at home, Uh, and for those who left earlier, came later. um, Kate, what do you feel like is a big difference this year compared to last year's festival? I mean, one thing I'll note is that every screening I've been in has been like sold out or pretty much wall-to-wall at capacity.
2: No, I know they sold out a lot of tickets um, very early and i do feel the same thing that it's like every uh screening we've been to has been really packed there's always lots of great buzz for the evening screenings i think the vibe is more energetic but also i think people are still sort of getting used to being back in the world and so there's kind of more of a short fuse but people do seem excited to be here a little bit more than last year i feel like last year people who were here were very very thrilled to be back in person um and this year maybe they're a little Already a little, you know, jaded, but excited. Well, and
0: people seem more healthful this year. I feel like there's, you know, immunities built up. There's less sickness all around us.
2: Yes, less coughing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, I guess uh, a way to um, bring you both into the conversation is to talk about some of the films we've all seen uh, or... Each of us has seen on our own journeys in the festival. But on day one, on Thursday, we all saw the same movie, which was Anna Boden and Ryan Slack's Freaky Tales. Um, let's talk about what you guys thought of that movie. Marcus, why don't you start? And yeah. I'm
1: going to go last.
0: <laughs> um, I really liked it. I feel
1: like it's right up my alley. And I wasn't super enthusiastic about uh, it being an anthology. Um, But I feel like even people who didn't necessarily like it have been like, oh, they did kind of tie it together at the end. Like, there is a level of interconnectivity to it. Um, But yeah, I didn't expect it to be kind of like exploitation, like, (laughs) in seeing Kung Fu and stuff like that. I'm like, uh, that's what I really enjoyed, and it's kind of something that I would watch with my dad at home.
2: I think when Anna and Ryan introduced the film, they talked about a lot of the influences they had. And one of the things they said is, if you're a fan of the Warriors, meaning the Golden State Warriors basketball team and Walter Hill's Hades gem, you are going to love this film. And I knew that that wasn't going to vibe with Ryan. It <laughs> vibed a little bit more with me. It has a lot of influences and a lot of um, throwbacks to films that I do like. I think I liked it a little less than Marcus. I did like the interconnectedness, but I just sort of loved that sort of thing anyway. Um, but where
0: are yeah, so we're kind of going in descending order here. Uh, I feel strongly opposed to this film for all the reasons that you've both said are good things about it, um, especially that we're talking about how it does sort of culminate around this actual um, uh, from May nineteen eighty seven Warriors Lakers game that took place in Oakland. The movie is supposed to be this homage, sort of ode to Oakland. I don't really... It could be anywhere, really. It doesn't really feel that... Like, the location is that specific. It's sort of everywhere and nowhere, in a way. And if you don't care or know about this game or about any of the references that the movie's making, it doesn't try to, like, make you care about them. It's sort of like... And there are moments where it's just sort of like they watched a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies, you know, in the pandemic or something, and we're (laughs) like, all right, let's just, like, recreate these. And even there's, without spoiling anything, there's even a climactic... Uh, fight sequence that is like verbatim but a imitation of it of the Brad Pitt versus the Manson showdown from the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the house even looks the same and it's like why are we doing this that movie we just did this you know that movie's from 2019 they're doing it because it rules <laughs> <laughs> but their version of it doesn't rule and they I I think, think it know. rules but I don't I just there's nothing there's not I don't I, there's, there's nothing personal to me about this movie I mean, I would tend
1: to, I do feel like, in terms of the Brooklyn aspect, I I assume it's real if you know, you know, because there are, like, uh, locations that they establish, like the movie theater, some of the restaurants. Um, But, yeah, no, even watching it in the audience, I was surprised that, like, when they showed Too Short was doing a cameo, because Too Short is also a character in the story, uh, that the audience didn't really have that big of a reaction to it. Um, but yeah, I don't know it, it, it could be one of those things too Where it's just like There's a lot of people in the film That I'm a big fan of uh, As a Normani fan We're fed so little
0: <laughs> And so I mean just This, <laughs> this Normani-Dominique Thorne chapter That's the second in the movie Is sort of the most like Left for Dead all of them by the end it doesn't really circle back to it they are not really given many dimensions unfortunately
2: i think that ryan and i have the divide that we have is i'm happy to see um anna and ryan doing a film post captain marvel where they're using a lot of the things that they learned making a giant mcu film and i think are trying to return to their indie roots and i appreciated seeing that and I think Ryan does the opposite.
0: I feel that they have not recovered from <laughs> the worst traits that were absorbed in the making of Captain Marvel and that they're perhaps maybe applied better here, but still misapplied nonetheless. Anyway, we get it. I didn't like this movie. You guys sort of did. You really did. Um, we can talk about some other ones. Like uh, There's one that I didn't see that you both really liked, and I believe you both were... Um, that you weeping in the theater which was ghost light thoughts
2: um so Ghostlight is a film by kelly O'Sullivan and alex thompson they previously had this film called saint francis that was at south by southwest it's just it's a wonderful gem of a film um both of these films sort of have i think log lines that might not sound very appealing but they are such you know real people and they're deeply feeling and i find them very funny that they end up making these beautiful films that just, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's really true. They make you laugh and they make you cry. Um, Ghostlight is about um, a Chicago construction worker whose family is going through uh, a a tragic event. And he finds healing by working with a local community theater group doing a sort of like ragtag production of Romeo and Juliet. And one of the things that I also think is remarkable about this film the man who's the lead, and his wife and his daughter, they are a real-life family, and their real-life chemistry really just works beautifully, and that's a whole other dimension to the film.
1: Yeah, I think it really uh, speaks to sort of any past drama kids. Do. Really, especially the daughter is like about, it's on 10 as far as like theater kid energy, but like it really works with the story. I think the most... Sort of recognizable actor is Donnelly DeLeon, who is uh, Juliet in the production in the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the ones where by the end it's tearing up. Even though, like, uh, some criticism I've heard of it is that it kind of lines up. Uh, it, it's really inspired by Shakespeare
0: in many ways. Yeah, healing and, and trauma are themes. Of a lot of films this year, but
2: it is done with a light touch that I think people who maybe are you know a little burnt out on very traumatic films will enjoy. Uh,
0: and this in like, this is an acquisition title. It has not yeah. been um, picked up yet. Uh, there are you know there's a lot of films on the hook for distribution here. There's there's only only been a couple sales so far. Um, Evil in the documentary uh, from Benjamin Reed, the director of Mirror and the Thief. It's documentary about a Norwegian gamer who had a secret life as a gamer that his parents discovered after he dies of a degenerative muscular disease. Netflix bought this one. Uh, you know, what we've learned in the last recent years, especially since the pandemic, is that the sort of overnight bidding war sensation is is not, you know, it's not in the water, perhaps, quite as much as it was in years past. and even even like last year, you know, Netflix took a couple days to buy fair play for, for $20 million. Uh, You know, there is one really strong film that already has distribution from A24, which also produced it, which is Jane Schoenbrunn's I Saw the TV Glow, which is my favorite film of the festival so far, and I feel like for most people who've seen it and respond to it, they also agree um, A24 will release it later this year, but it stars Justice Smith as a teen, and it's kind of an early two thousand sort of a setting, a teen who is awakening to their own transness vis-a-vis this uh, TV show that's sort of like a nickelodeon style teen sci-fi series um, and this character really begins to lose themselves in the, the sort of line between the reality and the end of fiction of the show and real life uh, and what, what this movie really demonstrates is how David Lynch's Twin Peaks The Return uh, from 2017 uh, you know truly one of the most miraculous gifts we've ever had on TV is really becoming such a defining touchstone for a certain generation of filmmakers. And this movie really quotes the return quite uh, conspicuously, but in a way that doesn't feel like an invitation. And is really just like a very touching, beautiful, scary, haunting ode. Uh, Yeah, no, I I can't say enough good things about this one.
2: I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I love James' first feature film, which was also at Sundance, um, called "We're All Going to the World's Fair," which sort of does a similar thing with internet life. So I am extremely excited to see this. We have a very glowing review from David Ehrlich, so it's already a staff favorite. Yeah, yes. David gave it an A.
0: So you know that's a, it's a bold pronouncement at the beginning of the year. But hey, I mean it's really nice after we've had the last like three months talking about the same movies. You know, it's like, I don't ever want to speak of or see some of these things again. Um, <laughs> Which ones? I don't know if I should say. I don't know <laughs> yeah, if I should. <laughs> um, now it's nicer, fresh material. It's something new to talk about. And so, you know, that certainly is all in toward inspiring such a fervent reaction. You know, another movie that premiered yesterday to some divisive response uh, was the film by Sam and Andy, Love Me with Kristen Stewart and Stephen Yeun, and they play a buoy and a satellite who, um, many billions of years after the extinction of the planet, uh, become sentient and fall in love with each other, and eventually their sentience enables them to realize, manifest themselves as actual people, even though they are AI. It's sort of a high-concept film. It's complicated to explain. (laughs) Uh, Marcus and I saw together. Marcus, what did you think of that? Um. Yeah. No. It's a. Uh, I
1: appreciate ambition, and so uh, there were there was a moment where I'm like, okay, I just want them to uh, land the plane because part of it is like them as like almost we avatars, if you remember the knees or whatever. And so uh, during that portion, I was like, this is cool, but it's kind of running out of steam, and then it does evolve, and like I. I think it's really creative. I think when you really get to see Kristen and Steven perform, that's like at its peak, um, but yeah. I, <laughs> I understand when people have uh, issues with it, because when you like dig a little deeper, I'm like, were they trying to say something about global
0: warming? Were they trying to say, like, AI or people? Like, I think all of those things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the characters are called me and I am. I think it gives you a sense of sort of, there is a, there is a tweeness to the film. Uh, can't deny that. I did respond to it. Uh, well also we get to see like Kristen Stewart as an influencer at the end of the world. That's pretty. Yes. No, and she's very good at embodying that specific kind of person that you don't want to be around normally. Um, no, I mean, this is a movie that I actually think does have commercial appeal compared to some of the other films that I've seen so far. Uh, Kate, there's one that we saw last night, the new Steven Soderbergh film Presence, which uh, he financed himself. He shot it with it during, um, I was about to say during the pandemic, and then during the lockdown, during the strikes uh, with a sag after an interim waiver, uh, and again is challenging himself to reinvent the wheel on how another genre is um, told cinematically, which here is the haunted house story, but the movie is shot from the actual literal subjective point of view of the ghost that is haunting this house well, uh, the presence the presence, the presence. we don't want to a, a ghost is not a word that's used in this film uh you know we steven soderbergh is he, he he churns them out and he shoots these movies in like under two weeks always and is always challenging himself to have to do whatever technical uh you know sort of Wide swing. He took the last time. It's not a scary movie. It's more of a supernatural drama.
2: I yeah. I, um, I think we really enjoyed it. I've already seen some headlines today talking about people walking out because they were so scared. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. It is. It's an immersive film. I think if you get a little jittery with a handheld camera, that might be part of it. But I found it. It sounds weird to say that it's fun because it goes to some dark places at the end. But I think it's fun. I really enjoyed watching it. And I enjoyed watching it with a big crowd. If people walked out, it's not because
0: they were scared <laughs> and confirmed that. It's true. <laughs>
1: um,
0: if you don't mind, I have
1: like a question related to that. Please, yeah. Um, like hearing the films that you guys enjoyed. Because I will say like, Freaky Tales was like the closest thing I have to like a favorite so far. But I've been like mildly enjoying everything. But we already know Sundance is like a documentary launchpad. Would you say like in recent years? Like,
2: the horror films have been really strong, too. I mean, the midnight section has always been, I think people sometimes forget, like, you know, films like *Hereditary*, The Witch, this is, like, great launchpad, um, for horror films that we keep talking about the whole year, and then years and years after.
0: Yeah, I mean, last year, I don't think there was a runaway horror movie. Well, talk to me. Yeah. Oh, of course. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, yes, talk to me, of course, which sort of debuted quietly in the festival itself. And then obviously went on to gross like 80 million or something from A24. The big Netflix horror movie last year, Run, 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 that kind of just got dropped on the platform and left for dead. But uh, I feel like people really liked Birth, Rebirth. Wasn't that, like, the Frankenstein? Yeah, yeah, that was, I yeah. uh, IFC picked that one up. Yeah, there was, there was some interest in that one. And it's interesting to, to speak, actually, not to re-hash I Saw a TV Glow, but this is another A24 horror movie that I don't think has the commercial appeal that yeah. maybe Talk to Me does, but it will have a critical resonance, for sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm scared of everything, but, like... <laughs> You, the way everyone talks about these films, I'm like, uh, maybe I should reconsider. Yeah, maybe it'll be you walking out of that theater. I probably, <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder if we could. If anyone, if there are any questions in the audience, if anyone has anything they want to ask, sure, right well, here. Oh, we have a mic. Oh, that's right. We do have a microphone. Otherwise, I can give you mine for now. Here, go ahead. Hello, I'm Ritesh Ishmata. Big fan of the podcast. Been listening for many years. Um, I, I, my question was about uh, into the distribution prospects for international documentaries. I'm glad to hear that Evelyn had, uh, has distribution, but last year there were some uh, amazing ones. One that comes to mind is Melissa Dando, uh, the South African documentary that I don't believe has seen distribution and wasn't in talks for, um, it wasn't eligible, I believe, for the Academy Awards. Uh, So I was wondering what are your thoughts on um, whether you've spoken to distributors about um, what they see as the scene for uh, international documentaries
2: uh, and the distribution in the U.S. Well, um, our reporter Brian Wilk wrote a really, he's done a number of sort of walk-up pieces about the market, and when he was talking about some hot titles, one of the hot titles is an international documentary. It's called Nocturnes. It's about moths. Uh, the film has not yet premiered, but I have seen it and I really, really loved it. I think that uh, it has the same producers of Fire of Love and people have sort of compared it to that, but I found it to be really immersive and really special and it has incredible sound. I watched it in a Dolby theater and I think that a smart distributor should absolutely snap it up and really turn it into an experience for their audience. And so I think that I have high hopes for that one. That's the one I can speak up specifically.
0: Um, And I mean, obviously, we know that Sundance has always been a really wonderful launchpad for documentaries, but even looking at the short list, not to go back to the Oscars, but looking at the short list of documentary contenders of the 15 films, many of them did come out of Sundance last year. And so I think there are eyes on this festival as a place to launch documentaries in the direction of awards. I mean, the festival program this year, The Mother of All Lives I'm sorry, Mother of All Lies, which is shortlisted as well, and not currently looking for U.S. distribution. And so, you know, I I think that that tradition is certainly continuing here. Yeah, I guess just paying attention to it from an awards perspective,
1: uh, I think the thing that really bums me out is that when distributors do really look at these films and put their energy behind it, it does go a long way. I do think Melisande might have been on the shortlist, but there were some other films last year, like uh, King Cole as well, like they really had to almost scramble together to even kind of fight for awards recognition. And when you look at the shortlist, it's almost shocking to see something like Kokomo City, which was a winner last year, um, not make it given how uh, much critical acclaim they had. But uh, sort of behind the scenes, it sounds like it's just, it didn't have a lot of money behind it. And so I do, hope that uh, distributors really take notice because when they do um, I think these films really get celebrated and I think the audience has changed to where there's not um, a shakiness around whether it's an English or a different language like people kind of flock to everything regardless of whether they
3: speak like the native language. Yeah.
0: Thank you for your question. Anyone else? I have no idea what you're
1: talking about. <laughs> been listening for years. Uh, you're doing a great job. Um, and I love coming to Sundance and talking about these things because it feels like there's something to tell the rest of the film world about in this environment. And at the same time, it feels like it can be a bit of a bubble. In the last few years, because of COVID, there are films that people can watch at home, but not all the distributors like that. Right? especially somebody like Day24, which puts its films out of competition so that they don't have to be on the platform. So people can't watch I Saw the TV Glow when you're really excited about it right now. So my question is, do you think that's a, a good thing? Or should those distributors chill out, let Sundance sell tickets in all 50 states and sort of maximize
0: visibility for these movies when
2: they're premiering?
0: I mean, I'm for a film festival to be as democratic and accessible as possible when they are often so gate kept. And so expensive. I mean, that's the trend of all film festivals that it's really expensive for people to attend, even when you are media and and some elements of that are comped. I mean, the you know a couple of years ago when the festival was fully virtual and all of these titles were available online. I think last year only Past Lives was like the one, and that was a twenty four hour competition, wasn't available. I think there was just as much of a sense of community online and in some of the creative ways that Sundance tried to work with the fact that everyone was participating from home. I, I do think that, I think that's a great way of putting it. I do think that the distributor should chill out. I mean, Neon has three movies that it's brought to the festival, Stress Positions, Seeking Mavis Beacon, Handling the Undead, and all of those are in the various competition sect- sections across dramatic documentary world cinema, which means those will be available for people. And, you know, I think it's setting a good precedent.
2: No, I mean, I think one of the things we saw during the first couple years of the pandemic is, like, if you put a new movie, whether it's in theaters or it's in festivals online, people are going to watch it. And I agree with Brian. I think it should be as successful and democratic and, and possible for people to see these things. I understand... The business element of it, but I do think that when we're talking about all these things and everyone's like, oh man, when can I see it? And it's like, oh, well, I don't know. That doesn't do a service to our readers or the film fans. And if your
0: movie's good, it's going to work on the platform just yeah. as well as it does in the theater as much as people want you in the theater. I think a big issue I have is that uh,
1: like, there's a lot of energy around something like Past Lives, but people's attention spans are short, so by the time it actually becomes accessible, um, that part isn't as advertised. They know they want to see the movie, but they haven't figured out how, when it's finally available to them. So I do think, like we've said, uh, making it more democratic um, will really start to reflect
0: um, the love that's bubbling up for um, great storytelling that we see here. Uh, I wondered, Lastly, perhaps, we just have a few minutes here, if there's any film that's eligible in competition um, that you can talk about, whether you've seen it here or before, that you think would be a contender for the Sundance Awards across the competition sections next weekend. The one I'm hearing is DeeDee. Long. Which will be available on the platform, so yeah. I will be watching it there. Um,
1: but the director, Sean Wang, uh, he's also currently on the documentary short list uh, for a film he made that's going to be on Disney Plus soon. Um, but yeah, I think that um, everything I've heard, it's really sweet and people really enjoy it. Uh, and so it's cool to see like a new kind of emerging film where already have a lot of energy when it's not a film that's... Um, kind of using
3: stars to advertise it. So this is uh, Screen Talk Part Two, where we talk about the Oscar nominations. Um, And I was uh, pretty pleased. You know, the, the top 10 came in very much with the PGA, as we expected, and the big snub if you want to use that word uh it's not really uh the right word because it's just a question of numbers um all the people put in their votes and greta gerwig somehow got left out the creator of (laughs) barbie she obviously got a uh, an adapted screenplay and now maybe there will be a sympathy vote I mean,
0: it, it, yeah, it, about this snub, if you will, everyone's acting like it's like this huge blow to feminism that she wasn't nominated for Best Director, but there is a woman in there, and the movie's up for Best Picture. She's not, and, and the, the people are upset about Margot, but it's like, it kind of like devalues the, like, the producing on Barbie, the writing on Barbie, because they did, I mean, it got eight nominations. It's very well represented and, and two acting. it could active. win
3: a few crafts. It could win the, the screenplay, and it could win a few, a, a few crafts. I thought Ryan Gosling came, you know, spoke out beautifully uh, about it, appropriately uh, about it, you know, supporting his team, but it it this is how it works. There's only five slots, right? And there's 10 best picture nominees.
0: Did you see just today Hillary Clinton like tweeted like a a conciliatory message to um Greta and Margot. So oh. that's so now they're someone's going to win something now. <laughs>
3: Oh, my. Oh, my. Um, Yeah. So that's now you. uh, I have to eat crow today. Everyone, I'm eating crow. Brian was right about anatomy of a fall. The taste of things didn't get in. You know, the French were wrong. They should have they should have submitted anatomy of a fall. It all comes down to some political thing. Justine Trier said at a can that pissed off the minister of culture.
0: Yeah, she said something, you know, calling the government neoliberal or something like that. Um, I mean, she's known for being this kind of outspoken intellectual. And apparently it was very, well, apparently there was a divide. There was a split on the committee where like there was a lot, there was a final vote that was like the final, the straw that sort of like pushed Anatomy of a Fall out of contention but it's great that the, the the Oscar nominations overall were so internationally leaning I mean there was five apiece for Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall and it was you know just it's it's great to see that the more eclectic Academy body gets the, the films the nominated are going to reflect that.
3: I'm really, I'm really pleased about that too, and I'm, I'm also uh, thinking that where the the momentum lies. Okay, we already have figured out that Killers of the Flower Moon is losing momentum. It didn't get Leo. Um, it didn't get screenplay. That's a big blow, actually. Um, it got Robert De Niro and Lily Gladstone as it should, and it got ten nominations, which isn't, you know, uh, a big, you know, isn't a terrible thing. But there's, there's a possibility. That this movie could be yet another Martin Scorsese movie with all all the ten nominations and no wins. This, this is, is what I said. This prospect. is what I said months ago. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. it's a terrible prospect, um, because I don't see Scorsese taking director away from uh, Oppenheimer. I mean, it, it is it is Christopher Nolan's to lose picture director, probably adapted screenplay. But I think Barbie could take it now. Oh, I, I,
0: I think it's absolutely primed to take it now. Like it's going to get those sympathy votes
3: because uh, Oppenheimer can't win. I mean, it got thirteen nominations. It can't win everything, you no. know. And 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 so a lot of the craft uh, categories are actually competitive uh, with Barbie, actually, and Killers. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, and and I think there could be momentum for Anatomy of a Fall and for uh, American Fiction, by the way, which did very well with with four. And then you have um, this extraordinary uh, push I think could happen for the zone of interest. I think the zone of interest is one of the best movies of the year and very serious. And a lot of people are just catching up with it. It's, a, it's one of those things they're avoiding because they think it's going to be upsetting and now they have to see it. So it could have that late inning momentum that sometimes helps a movie push forward. It's not going to beat Oppenheimer, but it could get some things we'll see. It
0: it, it definitely didn't have this momentum um a few months ago even though like i felt like after very late it did open late and a24 hasn't really taken it out wide yet of course now they will do that or wider as wide as a movie like that could possibly things
3: is going wide now and 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 so on yeah we'll see we'll see how poor things did very well 11 emma stone front runner for best actress i think i think she could take it
0: Oh, she, she's gonna she's gonna want to like give that thing to lily though you know because you saw at the ccas how she was kind of just like why do i have this
3: <laughs> it's a big t- I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna say that i'm not gonna say that lily could still win we'll see i mean it's it's an it's uh, it could be irresistible to the, to the academy to give that to lily gladstone it's possible it could happen what else past lives got two Best Picture and screenplay. The, um, that,
0: the Christine Vachon, I think that's her first, first Best Picture nomination, yeah, which Best is crazy Picture. to think.
3: She's had so many. She told me this. She said, "I had, I've had a lot of actors, you know, from my films get nominated, but I've never been in Best Picture." She's very excited. Very excited. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and what else? Hidden. All right, so we've got the holdovers still chugging along. So I bet that Paul Giamatti wins SAG, and then Killian Murphy wins the Oscar. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. I
0: mean, and the, the holdovers getting in for editing just also shows that there's a lot of support for that movie.
3: And Anatomy of a Fall. Yes, that was a shocker. That's the yes. biggest shocker of the whole day. Yes, that it Anatomy was. of Fall got editing. That is really unprecedented, really. Except for you know, Parasite or something. What yes. what is what does that mean? It means that the editors were that impressed. You know, that's yeah, I mean,
0: incredible. And that Neon did a really good job.
3: Yes. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Um, what else? Napoleon ended up with three craft nominations that it won't win. Uh, Niad got its So, all right. Netflix did really well. Netflix got 18 nominations all by itself. You know, Disney got 20, but that means Searchlight and the animated films and the shorts, you know, that's those things. There was one Disney Plus short that got in there. So they counted all of those things. On its own, Netflix got 18. So that's two for Naya, the two acting nominations. I'm happy for Annette Benning and Jodie Foster. Do you think Annette has a chance?
0: No, it's just, it's so sad. This is the fifth time. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> this is what I've said before is I'm like, she might have to just settle for a governor's award one day, you know? Oh,
3: no, she'll have <laughs> I don't have her, want that for her, young. But... She's yes. still young. She'll have her moment. Then there's Maestro with seven. That's another one that could be nominated for seven and not win anything. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's looking like it.
3: And then you have a uh, society of the snow, which they of course hoped to do a big thing with like all quiet on the Western front. And, and like the BAFTAs, it really was just, um, foreign language plus, uh, makeup, which was totally deserved. Um, but it didn't get a whole lot of other things. And Rustin, Coleman Domingo, big deal, wonderful. I'm so pleased. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was very happy cool. about that.
3: And then um, American Symphony got you know, whiffed uh, in the doc um, category. The documentaries were mystifying. I went to a party last night. It was a sort of Oscar nominations night party packed with Academy members. It was given by Josh Haritunian, who you know i know and uh, of course he said hey you know i wanted to drink tonight so i thought why not drink with a lot of people <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh i'm sure a lot of people were drinking yesterday and not for the not for the right reasons um well you know bobby wine maybe was unexpected would you say but that did you know that recently like i went to the cinema i honors a few weeks ago and that won the that won the top prize
3: I should have been paying more attention to that. It also won the top prize at IDA. So that was my bad. Um, That may be the front runner. Um, Although eternal memory is very, very moving. And if all the, now everybody will see the films. So I could see that sometimes it's the one with the most emotion. The thing about Bobby Wine or however you pronounce it is that it is so uh, upsetting to recognize what these people went through to make it and I enter, I did a Q&A and I everybody was in tears at at a certain point because it was so horrifying what they went through and uh, the guy yeah, goes back I, he goes back to, to Uganda
0: I think it is Bobby Wine I think you're right <laughs> eh.
3: I have to fix my I have to fix, but it but it was t- you know, they didn't do still, they didn't do somebody was explaining to me last night that the Doc branch is so serious and so terrified of having another octopus teacher that they they are going the other way rigorously, you know, to find almost serious, difficult movies to champion, you know, but it was an odd, it was an odd assortment um with no well, they, front runner.
0: Yep, yeah, and there is there's one or two on there that I'm going to be catching up with now. So, I've know. actually
3: seen them in this case. <laughs> okay. Um, and I've I have the, the shorts. I have to catch up on the yes. shorts. And I know we're not talking about Sundance, but uh, as we tape today, um, which is earlier in the week, it's Wednesday. Um, we have uh, today is the day the Sundance portal opens up to the rest of us, and we can jump in. Are you still in Sundance?
0: Oh, I'm still here. Yeah. But I'm, and I'm leaving within the hour. Like as soon oh, as we okay. hang up here, I'm okay. packing, finishing. Good, good,
3: good. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, apparently, uh, six people at Indie have, have COVID.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I'm <laughs> hearing that like, sun, sun, in sun, Sundance staff has it too. I don't know what event it was. I mean, it was a series of them. It was, uh, you know, you guys had Uber. your chili party. Yeah, and it was in a bigger space this time though, so it felt like it was it felt like there was room and to breathe. Though there was like three hundred people there, so yeah, I'm sure I tested negative yesterday, but it's coming for me. So
3: just wear your mask on the plane, Ryan. Yes, I be will a good, be a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> I sound I sound like your mother. Forgive me. <laughs> um, all right, I will uh, let you go. I, unless there's anything else you think we need to uh, address. I mean, I no, like I- that Henry Sugar got in. For the shorts and pedro motivar did not because it was a fashion short you know so uh, they weren't going to do that what were some of the may december got the screenplay this is part of the netflix list and spider-man was limited to spider-man animation that was it nothing more i was i was not happy with the various music uh nominations they're always weird the music branch diane warren again really
0: yes and she will lose again
3: she has her Oscar. Let her. She has the her,
0: she has the governor's it. Oscar. Yeah, yeah, she has a yeah, honorary Oscar.
3: Let, let her enjoy. But she I was wants surprised. to win
0: the real one. She really. I know does. she
3: does. And I like Diane Warren, and I respect her as a songwriter. That's not the issue. It's that the women, the, excuse me, the people on the mu- in the music branch who are her buddies and her friends keep nominating her. That's what it's about. And and whether it's a good song or a bad movie or a movie anyone's seen, it doesn't matter. They nominate her and, anyway.
0: Uh, and th- and they are brilliant feats of music making. I mean, it's usually just a few chords. You know what I mean? It's very these are familiar type of songs that she writes that are sort of easy earworms, and not maybe doing the complicated work that some of these other
3: things yeah, that are left out go. we're doing. Yeah, there you go. All right, so um, all right, I'll talk to you. Uh, oh yeah, Robot Dreams was a surprise on the animated front. That was delightful, and
0: I'll and I'll be I'll be watching that now.
3: <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Yes. see You later, everybody.
0: All right. Bye. Thanks, bye Bye.